You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Well, as you know, we're back in the book of Acts, and once again, we're, we're going through this magnificent book of what God is doing to, be, to, to go to the nations and take the gospel to the nations, what that means for you and for me. Um, and we're looking again at the story of Cornelius, and we saw one perspective of the story from last week, right? And then God in His wisdom has told us He wants to continue to tell the story of Cornelius, going all the way into chapter 10 and into chapter 11. So after churning over uh, this week's passage and in last week's passage, I, I do think this story could actually be preached in four or five sermons. There's just so much going on. There's so much content. Nonetheless, I've only chosen two sermons just for the sake of expediency to get through Acts, you know, by 2022, right? As many of you noticed, um, there is some repetition in today's reading, but the repetition repetitions for a purpose. Um, the direction I want to go into this morning can, go, can be summed up in two words, two words. Made clean. Those are the words. Made clean. The revolutionary message and power of the gospel makes people clean. I'm going to set up this thought with a couple examples. Um, There are objects that we own uh, that once they become dirty, they never become thoroughly clean. Uh, recently, and about a month ago, I was hanging out with the Reichart family at, at Aaron's parents' house, and they had set up, they got some land south of here, and they set up the, like this dirt track, right? And they had the side-by-side car. This was, was all new to me, basically a car you can race on a dirt track. And all day they were racing around this makeshift track, and they're, you know, having fun, and, and mud and dirt is being built up, and all of a sudden this side-by-side car is looking like the track, and so at the end of the day, when it comes to kind of cleaning the thing up, everyone's kind of getting involved and they're just wiping dirt off. And it was amazing that every time you thought you'd cleaned off a part of this side-by-side car, you'd find another piece of dirt. Like there was no way to, to get this thing totally clean. I, felt, I feel the same way about when I take my vehicles through a car wash. Like right now, my blue truck and my red Honda are tan. Now, if I take them through the car wash, it gets a little bit clean, but every time I get out, you know what I notice? Sometimes some of the dirt just kind of gets pushed from one spot to the other spot of the car. It's never totally clean. There's always dirt hiding somewhere. I have one more example, then I'll make my point. We all have those friends who are regularly cleaning their house, in my case, in-laws. They want to make sure every square inch of the house is sparkling, right? We all got those friends. We love those friends. I love going over to those friends' house. But here's the reality. No matter how much time a person spends on cleaning the house, there's always another room that is dirty or is getting dirty because of children, (laughs) if you have children. Truth, yeah. Here's my point. No matter how hard we try, dirt remains. 
regardless of the level of effort we put into making something clean, dirt persists. The same principle is true for your life. Your sheer effort does not make you wholly clean. Sure, Christians strive to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, right? We walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what Philippians says. But because of the destructive nature of sin, we need something or someone outside of ourselves to get to the root of our sin, which exists in our heart. Only then is it possible to be made wholly clean. I've said this time and again that one of the main points throughout the book of Acts is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all to hear. Not all people who are called to respond to the gospel, right? Not all people who hear it are called to respond to the gospel, but the message goes out. Christians go out into the world as ambassadors of God to proclaim to all. Acts shows us how the gospel is going from Jerusalem, then Judea to Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. That's the premise of Acts 1.8. And as it turns out, this gospel message and the truth of the gospel is not just for a few apostles in this little country in the first century. But we are now seeing and will continue to see in Acts that God invites all kinds of people to hear and respond to the gospel of free grace. What we learned last week from Acts 10 is monumental in how we are to understand the impact of the gospel for all. It gets to the heart of relationships. It was monumental because what the gospel does to you and me and the barriers that can be broken down because of the gospel. We saw how Peter, a devout Jew, is now moving toward Christian fellowship with Cornelius, a Gentile. Like oil and water, Peter was taught his entire life that Jews and Gentiles do not go together. But then he saw Peter, then we saw Peter growing in his understanding of the gospel when he breaks in, when God breaks in by showing him a vision with this trance. The statement Peter heard from the Lord, which has the resounding impact, is Acts 10, 15. God invites people to respond to the gospel so that a person can be made clean. Here's that verse. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. This statement must have had a deep theological significance which completely altered Peter's worldview. After Peter's trance, he is taken to Caesarea, you'll remember, to meet with Cornelius. And and it's this statement of being made clean, Peter relays to Cornelius as the reason for their meeting. He's like, ah, this is why we're getting together. This is why the Lord has put us together. The moment Peter saw Cornelius is the moment, kind of like the light bulb went off for Peter. We see the restatement of Acts 10, 15, and 16 in today's passage when Peter goes back to Jerusalem. Right? we got more movement going on. He's going back to Jerusalem to update the church and what God is doing beyond the Jerusalem borders to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And Peter shares with them the story of Cornelius. And they were stunned, that was one response, and excited. Let's jump to the very end of the passage, which is chapter 11, verse 18. When they, the they being the apostles and the disciples in Jerusalem, heard these things from Peter, interesting, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
Clearly, what God is doing with the Gentiles had put the the Jews in Jerusalem in stunned silence. After Peter's testimony, I had this picture in my head where everyone's like quiet and then like you could hear a pin drop. It'd be like all of us hearing news that people in Iran are getting saved in mass. That would be shocking to us, maybe put us in silence, be like, whoa, that's really happening? But hopefully the news would help us to see the power of the gospel to save all kinds of people as well. After the silence of the apostles, they began to see the bigger picture of God's gospel mission. It says in verse 18, they glorify God because of what he is doing. So in light of our passage and what I've said last week, what more could we glean from this story, right? How many times do we need to hear about the story of Cornelius? Well, the amount of space of this story tells me there's more. So the remainder of this message is going to hang on that phrase, what God has made clean, do not call common. So keep that in the back of your mind as I continue. What God has made clean, do not call common. We saw last week how the Jewish dietary laws created this barrier between Jews and Gentiles, but God had broken down the barriers with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. While there are practical realities to the dramatic shift in Peter's worldview, he can kind of kill the pig and eat the bacon. It's actually what I wanted to call last week's sermon, but Brooks wouldn't let me. Nonetheless, that's what's going on. He can kill the pig, eat the bacon. As you saw last week, Peter's vision was about killing and eating animals. Well, it wasn't about that. It was more than food, right? It's about people. The response of the Jerusalem leaders, right, tells us this much. They didn't rejoice because they could eat bacon all of a sudden. They celebrated because the gospel was breaking down cultural, racial, and national barriers. God was making clean those who were once thought utterly defiled. Those who were considered common are now invited into God's covenant of grace. Peter accents this point when he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. To understand why God no longer shows partiality with who is or is not made clean, we have to follow the role of the Old Testament law. If you've ever began a uh, Bible reading program starting in Genesis and going through Revelation, you might have been tempted to throw in the towel right around Leviticus, right? Things are going well in Genesis. You got stories. Exodus, we got Moses. Leviticus, what do we got going on here? Rules, regulations, commandments, especially in Leviticus 11. I want to get to Leviticus 11. In Leviticus 11, we begin to read about what makes a person unclean. I will not subject you to listening to everything that made Israel unclean, but here are a few verses to give you the sense. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that 
parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. Just touching them. And all that walks on their paws among the animals. My dog, are you kidding me? I love my dog. He's got paws on all fours. You're unclean too. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. I can tell you right now, because of the affinity that we have for all kinds of animals, the Powers family would not be good Jews. Just by touching the dead body of an animal makes a person unclean. We saw last week that Peter just being in the presence of Simon the Tanner in his home would have made him unclean. It seems extreme. It seems archaic. It seems unnecessary at least to our 21st century sensibilities. But God put the law in for a reason. And we need to know how the law fits into the larger story of God's redemptive plan, which is what is really going on in Acts Senate in Acts 10 and 11. Only after stepping back will we better understand what it means to be made clean. You've all heard of the Ten Commandments, right? You all have heard of the Ten Commandments, but there are more than Ten Commandments in the Torah, the Torah being the first five books of the Bible. There are 613 commandments given to God, given by God to His people. We have a hard time obeying these Ten Commandments, so good luck with 613. There are multiple reasons the law was given to Israel, but the majority of them center around these three big ideas. God addresses morality with the law. He addresses social justice with the law. And He addresses idolatry with the law. God gave Israel the law so that they could know what it means to be a distinct people for God in a world that is full of injustice and evil. The goal of the law is to cultivate, actually, a love for God and others. The problem is, every time new laws were given to Moses and then given to Israel, every time that happened, God's people rebelled. Like, how could you ever forget when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, Moses walks down Mount Sinai, and what does he see? Everyone worshiping a golden calf. This is the pattern throughout the Torah. Long story short, because of sin, Israel had hard hearts. The prophets, preaching and writing after the law was given, told of the need for God's people to have a soft heart, or as Ezekiel says, a fleshly heart. One that's moldable and bendable to the work of the Spirit. Isaiah said similar things as well. So what, is this all, what does all this have to do with being made clean? Well, this is where Jesus comes, comes in. It says in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus knew because of sin, the law could not be uh, achieved through a person's own effort. You're not going to be made clean through your own effort. You can't be made clean by trying harder. Only by Jesus fulfilling the law and a person's faith in Jesus can a person receive the brand new heart. By faith in Jesus and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, only then can a person be made clean. The book of Hebrews, which is a Christ-centered exegesis of the law, says this. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, 
in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. By faith in the Son of God, you can draw near to God with a true and real heart. With your conscience now clean and your bodies washed pure. This is the big takeaway for Peter and for us. In Christ, we have a new playbook. In Christ, we have a new covenant. Again, we don't disregard the Old Testament and the law. Jesus didn't ignore the law. Peter didn't overlook the law. Paul didn't disregard the law. But we understand the Old Testament and the law because of Jesus. A person cannot be made clean by obedience to the law, but only through faith in Christ. How is all this possible? At the invitation of Cornelius, Peter explains the gospel story. Here are the truths Cornelius must believe by faith to be made clean. The first thing Peter tells Cornelius about Jesus is that Jesus was sent to Israel to offer good news and peace. Basically, Peter is saying, in accordance with the scriptures, God sent Jesus, a descendant of David, to offer salvation. Jesus is a real person who lived in history, who had been also testified and testified about in the Old Testament. Peter tells Cornelius, Jesus is Lord of all, verse 36. Undoubtedly, this statement is aimed at the paganism of the Gentiles and Cornelius' Jewish faith. No, they aren't Lord. Jesus is Lord. Peter then mentions the ministry of John the Baptist and how Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then we read this in verse 38. He, Jesus, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Peter is recounting for Cornelius the many and amazing miracles of Jesus during his earthly ministry. As a sub-point to the main point, it's interesting, Peter points explicitly out the devil as the source of oppression. Interesting. So the earthly ministry of Jesus was in part a ministry against the devil. The ministry that begins with Jesus continues to this day. To tie this sub-point to the main point, the devil, in cooperation with sin, is the one cultivating the uncleansliness of people. Without a doubt, Peter is trying to communicate that Jesus is a a cut above everyone else because of his power over the devil. Now, if we stopped at verse 38, what would Cornelius think about Jesus? Let's say we just stop there. And Peter's like, I gotta go. What would Cornelius think of Jesus? Here's my perspective of on what people may think of Jesus if we stopped at verse 38, including Cornelius. I believe the majority of people who read this passage want the Jesus spoken about, verse 34 to 38. They want Jesus to be a good teacher who helped out the oppressed. Many people can even accept Jesus as a great prophet who speaks into culture to advance change, right? And those aren't bad things at all. However, as I've said in previous weeks, if this is the extent of who Jesus is, then you 
do not have a Savior, and you remain filthy right where you sit. If this is all who Jesus is, you, me, filthy. Jesus is so much more than a prophet or good teacher. Peter preaches to Cornelius and to everyone who is gathered with him, apparently. There's more than Cornelius in the room. He preaches Jesus more than the teacher and the prophet. There is more to Jesus which makes him unique and distinct. In verse 39, Peter says Jesus died because he was hanged on a tree. Cornelius, a Roman soldier, would have understood the gruesome nature of dying on a tree. He knows that Peter is telling him that Jesus was killed in the most horrendous way possible. In the first century, there was not a more hideous way to die than by crucifixion. But there's more to the gospel story. There's more to the story about how to be made clean. God, verse 40, raised Jesus on the third day. Listen, I know you all know this, but this is the type of stuff we need to preach to each other constantly. Verse 40, God raised Jesus on the third day. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a loud and triumphant statement is being made. The resurrection is, in part, validating the message of Jesus during his earthly ministry by proving that he is God and he has the power over death. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter, to his disciples, and others who would listen to this post-resurrection message. I cannot overstate the importance of connecting the story of Jesus with the truth of his crucifixion and resurrection. Without those two elements of the gospel story, you have no gospel story. Peter knew this. That's what he was trying to explain to Cornelius. A good teacher or great prophet cannot make Cornelius clean. But what if the Son of God can take the sin of his people upon himself? What if Jesus is able to get into the crevices and cracks of your life where dirt exists and take that all upon himself at the cross? Where would that leave you then? Clean. Listen, someone may hear this and say to me, Pastor Sean, you don't know what I've done. God could never make me clean. I know that question, not only because I've heard it, because I've said it for myself. For a moment, allow me to be personal. Before coming to Christ, I spent much of my young adult life living in complete debauchery, drinking, drugs, womanizing, and the list goes on. I'll just keep it PG and leave it right there. Before coming to Christ, there was no way I could have thought God could make me clean. No way. Since coming to Christ, I've had to fight to believe the truth that God has made me clean. I fight for that truth. Many of you can relate. 
And we always need to remind ourselves about the gospel and its application and claim upon our lives. I have also spoken to individuals about the power of God to make someone clean, and I've heard this statement. Pastor Sean, because of everything that has been done to me, there's no way I could ever feel clean. Because of what another person has done to me, I could not feel clean, and I always feel dirty. If you've had this thought, please listen carefully to what I have to say. The sin of another is not accounted to you. God sees your pain because the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. God provides comfort in your pain. God, is, God always says to you, you are clean. Because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have or are currently wrestling with either of these thoughts. The redemptive power of the gospel is not dictated by your personal past experiences. Right? The redemptive power of the gospel can transcend every feeling and experience and make you clean. The truth of the gospel is more potent than any thoughts, feelings, or experiences that you've ever had. Christian, your entire being has been made clean by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ now tells you that Christ is greater and more powerful than all that wants to oppress you. All that might ail you. So the question is, do you believe that, Christian? By faith, you can trust Christ is bigger. It's this message of gospel grace and mercy Peter shares and Cornelius receives. He and those who had come with him have been made clean. That's what it says in our text this morning. Now, I personally cannot preach this passage without mentioning the role of the Holy Spirit. And yes, the Holy Spirit has something to do with a person being made clean. I spent time talking about Christ, His crucifixion and resurrection, but how, how does the Holy Spirit fit into all of this? From verse 44 through the end of chapter 10, we read about what happened after Peter preached the gospel. We learned about uh, what happened when a person is justified and then clean. The Holy Spirit went to work. The Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. What we have at the end of Acts 10, I think, is a Gentile Pentecost. Why do I say this? I say this because of what Peter says to the apostles in Jerusalem in Acts eleven fifteen. While recounting what happened in Caesarea, he says, as I began to speak, he's recounting this, the story, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as on us at the beginning. So you might remember how the Holy Spirit fell upon the Jews in Acts 2, and then everyone began to speak in tongues in verses 3, 4, and 12 of Acts 2. We read of that word tongue, glossa. It's the same word we see here in Acts eleven forty six. I tend to think the miracle going on at Pentecost in Acts 2 
is where people were speaking languages they never knew. And now Peter is saying he saw the same thing happen to the Gentiles. Why does this connection matter? Like, yeah, that's great. But why? What does that matter? It matters because of what Peter learned. God shows no partiality. Chapter 10, verse 34. These two similar experiences between these two distinct groups of people are God's way of putting the proverbial icing on the cake. There should be no doubt about the gospel message to be proclaimed to all people. So that miraculous event in Acts 2, Peter says, I saw it again in Caesarea with Cornelius and those people in that room, and they were Gentiles. Footnote. Not everyone's going to agree with me on that. But based upon that statement alone from Peter, I'm convinced. There's another role of the Holy Spirit that must be mentioned from Acts 10 and 11. If you've been made clean when you were justified before God because of the atoning work of Christ, it is the role of the Holy Spirit to keep you and to remind you that you've been made clean until you are in the presence of Christ. Here's what our Lord says in the Gospel of John. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then several verses later in John 14, Jesus continues to talk about the Holy Spirit. These things I have spoken to you while I was still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring you, excuse me, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, what a gift the Holy Spirit is for our life. What a gift. I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. If you've been made clean by Christ, then the Holy Spirit will ensure you always remain clean before a holy God. You being made clean is a matter of standing. This is the perspective I'm looking at from this passage. A matter of standing or position before God. Without a doubt, sin will bite at your ankles until you die or Christ returns. And you, Christian, will find help from the Holy Spirit to fight against sin. As, as, as Ryan was sharing from Psalm 51, my mind went to, went to this from 1 John. And this is actually a verse from 1 John that's good news in terms of how we continue to fight with the help of the Holy Spirit to remind ourselves that we've been cleansed by God. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how do we fight? It's repentance and coming to God and saying, Oh God, I am a sinner. I need you. So there's a positional aspect here that we are clean, and there's this part of sanctification where we are continuing to become more like our Savior. But once again, we're 
regardless of what side we're looking on, the positional aspect of how we grow in our faith, the gospel is bigger than your sin. The gospel has to be bigger than your sin, or we are in a whole lot of trouble, and we will remain in our filth. But praise God, the truth always prevails. We have been made clean by God's grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My hope is that a takeaway from this message would be for you to remind yourself of the power of the gospel and the claim of the gospel upon your life. Man, throughout my days, it is hard to focus on spiritual matters. Even as a pastor, like there's always things to do. I'm a father, I'm a husband. Got to do this, got to go there. And how fickle I can be. That's where we need help from God, from each other to remind ourselves that we have been made clean because of Christ. And the result is the result of the apostles and the disciples in Jerusalem. We glorify God. We glorify God because of what he has done through Christ. Let's pray.